0: Trademarks owned by Beckley, SAB, the CV, copyright 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey, please drink responsibly.
1: I'm not entirely sure how to introduce this person to our audience. If you've been listening to us for a while, you know that he arrived at the advent of the numbers movement in the NBA, and he was a young reporter who got access to the Golden State Warriors and did a lot of Interesting basketball coverage and quickly, I feel like, outgrew sports writing, but still does a lot of sports writing and does sports writing a little bit better and more counterculture than most people doing it right now but isn't limited to sports writing. However, on his Substack, what happens, it seems like to me, Ethan, and you correct me if I'm wrong by way of welcome, that a lot of people still want you to write about sports because what you're writing about basketball is different than what the mainstream is writing about basketball, whether it's the Clutch Lakers versus the CAA Knicks or Adam Silver stopping locker room access or any number of things that you've taken a different angle on. So how should I be introducing you to the audience uh, because you're writing things that other people are not writing? Well,
2: you did a way better elevator pitch than I could ever do. Uh, I always feel when I'm talking about this a little like the Joker in The Dark Knight where I don't have a plan. I just do. Um, I, I really don't. And people like to find patterns and they try to figure it out and they think that there's some sort of strategy behind it I just try to write whatever I'm interested in and often what I'm interested in Dan is something that I'm just not seeing elsewhere and I'm sure you've been you've been in this before where people accuse you of being a contrarian because you say something that isn't said elsewhere perhaps but I think they're almost they're reversing what happens I don't look at all the takes and go oh my god how can I go in another direction I have this feeling sometimes where I have a thought that this is true, or this is so, and nobody's saying it. And it's almost like pressure starts building up. And I wish I could come up with a less disgusting metaphor, but it's almost like a pimple or a boil. It's just that kind of pressure, and you want to release it. And that's what writing is for me, is that ability to go, okay, I just I feel like I need to say the thing. The thing is happening. Somebody needs to say it. I'm going to say it. And it's found some resonance, it's connected, it's worked, and it's cool. It's always just been this selfish, cathartic process, and I'm very thankful that other people get something out of it.
1: Why did you go from book writing, from reporting, from NBA reporting to Substack and the decision, I'm going to write these things over here with total freedom?
2: There's a not so flattering aspect to it, which is that I thought I was getting worse. I just thought I was getting worse at sports writing. And I think a lot of people went through this over the pandemic period where they didn't feel themselves caring as much about their job as they did in the past. And for me at The Athletic, I was covering the Warriors. The Warriors are just exceptionally well covered by The Athletic. So it's not just me over there. It's Marcus Thompson. It's Tim Kawakami. It's Anthony Slater. They're all uh, taking all the meat off that bone. They're excellent at what they do in different ways and i felt like i could keep pace if i was tremendously motivated like when we just kicked off the 2018 playoffs together and we were just humming like a well-oiled machine but i just felt myself kind of kind of getting worse and i i thought that uh, eventually the fans the readers they feel it they know it they know that you're you're fraudulent at some level and so yeah i had a couple years left in my contract but was I really going to command some sort of uh, salary after that if I, if I didn't have a following, if my work wasn't good anymore? So it was inspired by fear. And I, I, wanted, I wanted it to be inspired by a different fear, by maybe a better fear, and that was the fear of failure. It excited me to start the Substack and just know I could fail, to know that maybe I'm going to try to talk about the stuff that interests me, Dan, and it won't work. And it will be humiliating. It won't just be an ego failure, but it will be a financial failure on top of that. That's scary as hell. But I sometimes think that you need something like that in your life in order to force you to be better and to force you to grow. And for whatever reason, I hungered for that. I wanted that sense of risk. And I think that was a lot of it. It was just, I I called up. Uh, the CEO, co-founder at The Athletic, and I said, "Hey, I'm really sorry. You've been good to me. I'm just burned out. I need to do something, something different. Can you let me out of my contract?" And then I I signed a deal. It wasn't totally going without a net because I'm on something called a pro deal at Substack where they really give you a salary for a year and then you're kind of on your own after that. And that kind of mitigated it. I don't think I could have told my wife that, hey, the mortgage might not get paid next month. But it, yeah, it gave me that sense of risk. And I felt like I had ideas and opinions. And it was a lot easier to get those out if uh, I was effectively my own editor than if I had to work within an institution.
1: You learned something much earlier than I did. I don't know how old you are, but probably 20 years older than you, I would imagine. You learned that go to the fear, go to the pain, go to the scary thing, there is growth there. What an unusual thing to choose it though. Usually most people have it forced upon them by some sort of uh, something. People get very comfortable with comfort and, choosing fear is not a common option.
2: Yeah, but there's this other aspect of, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's almost like, what's the point? I mean, this isn't the most remunerative profession. It can be if you succeed wildly as you have, but for most people it isn't. And if you're in that middle class of sports writing and you're not really feeling all that motivated to do what you're doing, you're not gonna make a lot of money and you're not gonna have fun. And in a way, the whole idea of this was to have fun. I could have tried to go down other routes. I could have tried to become a lawyer or get an office job. Ultimately, I chose this crazy profession that's almost like being a carny and being in a strange subculture. And as a beat writer back in the day, you're going from you know city to city and living just on a different plane as other people. So I just conceived of it as, well, what's the point of this if I'm not going to enjoy doing it? And so not only do I want the fear, I want the fun, I want it all, and we'll just figure it out. We'll figure it out from there. How do you get
1: viewed, right? Because it's not just contrarian, right? After the pandemic and a divided America, I feel like you are espousing some beliefs. That while I look at you and say, man, that he's pretty firmly entrenched in the middle or trying to be somewhere in the middle. And that's seen uh, more and more these days as being extreme and counterculture. What are the fairest criticisms you get and how are you perceived uh, as you are writing some stuff now that is a little more dangerous than what you were writing before?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about fairness. I know the sorts of criticisms to what you're saying because things have gotten very sorted uh, with a T instead of a D as everything. And I think social media is a big aspect of it where everything gets divided into uh, right versus left and conservative versus liberal, but the definitions of what those words mean are constantly changing. And I think sometimes people push back and they say you're criticizing a lot of the cultural sensibilities of media, which are more blue world, obviously, and why aren't you criticizing some of the crazy stuff that we see on the right? And I, I get that sort of pushback. I I have more or less come at it from the perspective of what my world is like. I'm in a very different place than you are, uh, Dan, where you're in Florida, you're in a purple state uh, that is governed by a conservative governor. And it's not only that, it almost seems like it's part of some sort of growing conservative movement out there versus I'm in California, I'm in the Bay Area. Yeah, I could obsess over MAGA or whatever every day, but it's not germane to my community. It doesn't seem to have much of any power other than perhaps if the Republicans win, the federal tax code has changed a little bit. But California effectively operates like its own country. And beyond that, it's a one party state. So I think that's bad regardless of party, because there's no pressure to do well, it seems. And that's when corruption happens because there's no downside to losing. I know I'm rambling, I'm going into the political aspect of it, but that's one aspect of pushback I've heard is why don't you spread it around more? Why are you uh, critiquing the culture from only one direction? And I think my answer to that Mostly would be that in my world, that is the predominant culture. If I was in a different world, if I was, I was if I was in a different environment, then maybe it would go a little bit less that way. But, but in this little work, in
1: this little know. playground, for example, you have dared to come after Stan Van Gundy. You have mm. uh, blamed Stan Van Gundy and the rest of us for the existence of someone I will just heretofore refer to as shit stain. <laughs> Uh, You you have, uh, in in our little world, you have deigned to go slightly, slightly by degrees in a different direction, more often against uh, the extreme left than the extreme right.
2: Yeah, well, I think the example there, I mean, the Stam and Gundy, that's a whole other thing. But uh, when I wrote about Clay Travis and how I understand why you hate him and call him shit stain, he often acts like an asshole, but there is some responsibility on the part of the sports media that hate him because they don't really give voice to a lot of opinions that aren't just held by 30%, 40% of the country. It's sometimes an opinion that's held by 70% of the country. And at that point, you're making it way too easy for Clay Travis to have a very nice living
1: can i get 30 second bite-sized from you just to get people caught up on some of your work just to get them to understand what is available uh, at your sub stack let's go through these topics that you've written about and just give me a couple of morsels here from the most interesting 30 seconds you got why did you write about clutch lakers versus caa Knicks?
2: well i think i've got i don't even know what i would call it maybe a little bit of uh It's not a moral Tourette's. It's that sense of nobody's saying this, I want to say it. And in the NBA, nobody... Often, I shouldn't say nobody, but almost nobody in NBA media reveals where the action is. They present you a story and they don't tell you who the author of the story is. They tell you about trades. They tell you about free agency signings and they don't mention, oh, by the way, the main mover in all of this is an agent who gives me the story first. So I can't really reveal his role in things, except maybe to pump him up as having negotiated a a good deal when I tweet about him. And so I like just talking about what's going on behind the scenes. I love talking about how businesses work, how industries work. And so in that instance, I think there's this other bigger game behind the scenes of Clutch versus CAA, and they're battling through all these proxy proxy wars within the association and nobody in media is going to tell the public that because it messes with their sources that's just a you know an easy topic for me
1: you're fascinated by the player agent so why did you write about dan fagan
2: well dan fagan effectively ran the dallas mavericks for years and i think he was an impressive story and he, he had this fast rise. It, it was done through creativity, guile, one of those typical American stories where I think he, he grew up as an iron worker and then becomes maybe the richest and most powerful NBA agent. And this is related to what I was just saying before about how these, these agents, they're not really, we never made to know their true impact. And Fagan, he is ruling the NBA and he, is, he just inspires terror around the league and GMs. They're terrified of him. And he dies in a car accident one day. Quite tragically, it looked like he was working. He was on his phone and a bus hit him. And that was it. And it's like he never existed. You know, you go from one day, this guy is ruling the NBA. A lot of why the CBA is what it is and the different rulings are inspired by loopholes Dan Fagan found. He beat David Stern twice. He was a genius. I think genius is interesting. And then he's gone. And we don't really have, we don't really even know how to talk about what he did because it reveals too much perhaps um, that he, I think, did a great job of manipulating Mark Cuban uh, (laughs) and running the Mavericks. That's not something that they're going to say when eulogizing Dan Fagan. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. It was just a story I wanted to tell. It was out of nowhere, and uh, I just wanted to do it.
0: Get ready for the greatest roast of all
1: time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy.
2: Please do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes!
1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall
0: guy. What's what the poster said.
1: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie. Critics say exists to make you happy.
0: Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. I feel like you feel that Mark Cuban is a bit of a
2: fraud. Mm-hmm. I certainly feel that way, but. It's sort of like Donald Trump, where it, there is a fake it till you make a quality to it, where, you know, Mark Cuban got rich selling broadcast.com. The company went belly up immediately after the sale. So he didn't demonstrate an ability to build a great business. But man, he, he demonstrated something with his timing. And then similar to Donald Trump, uh, he crafted this persona of businessman, right? This TV persona and that persona is how people know him. I think way more people know Mark Cuban through Shark Tank than through owning the Dallas Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks were a stepping stone to having a show similar to The Apprentice, but more um, rooted in people pitching businesses where Mark Cuban can play the role of this wise businessman who can cut through all the bullshit. But if you look at the track record, he's had a lot of business ventures not really work out. Uh, The crypto ventures he's been in didn't work out at all. But you got to give him credit in the sense that uh, he might be a fraud and a visionary all at the same time.
1: Another fraud you've written about is us making up all our television rating numbers right now that everyone is faking it here and I just want to give people a handful of bite-sized uh, notes here on just the things that he's writing about because I think they'd be interesting to our audience. So how are the numbers in television fraudulent right now?
2: Well, I think streaming has opened up a little pocket to make them fraudulent because in many instances streaming uh can be claimed to only be viewed by the company itself, right, by NBC. I mean, it was so funny. I'll give an example. Uh, you have the Super Bowl on CBS. That was the Mahomes versus Brady Super Bowl, which was a great matchup, but we were still in the pandemic, so maybe numbers weren't so good. The next year, this last Super Bowl, NBC comes out, and they say we got more than 15 million viewers on our Super Bowl. And it was a great game. So maybe believable. But then you dig into the numbers and they said that we got twice the streaming viewership that CBS got. And you go, how can that be? That's crazy. You just doubled the streaming viewership of CBS just year to year. That doesn't usually happen. And then you really dig into it. And it turned out that NBC invented this metric where they said, hey, the way we count streaming is we say it's two people per streaming view, not like those idiots at CBS, where it's only one person per streaming person. At NBC, somehow we're getting two. And so that allowed them to double up their viewership number. And what's happened is that the media outlets, they want to make these broadcasters happy. They want to make these leagues happy. So they're not going to dig through the numbers. They're not going to say, actually, this is a bunch of bullshit. They just report the number. And so it becomes inflated And, you know, people I don't think are nerds about it, so it makes sense to me. Uh, They don't really care, but you're just seeing a lot of bullshit. You're seeing a lot of record ratings, record viewership, record growth, and you look into it, not so great. Now, there are a bunch of other aspects of the story that might be too granular for the audience. I don't know if the audience wants to get into how out-of-home Viewing has been counted by Nielsen now because Nielsen's been pressured by broadcasters who were pissed off during the pandemic that they weren't getting enough viewers. Uh, But there's a lot to the story, and it's just created an atmosphere where back in the day, you knew that the numbers were legit. And right now, you don't really know if the numbers are legit. I think the
1: audience might be more interested. Last subject on this. You like to write about Woj. Woj and how he does his job is interesting. You've gotten a really close look at some of the dirty parts of this. So what are the parts of the Woj experience that you find most interesting?
2: Yeah, it's again in that theme of we're not talking about the principles, maybe because we're scared of them. We're not talking about the main characters. Uh, Woj, immensely powerful, uh, sort of has this Nixonian will to power. And Nixonian, in the sense that when he's on TV, he's not very good as well, I would add. I'm not just taking a shot. I think that's just so, which is interesting in and of itself. And he has built this empire on the basis of being first and having the news first. And I think he's... In many ways a savvy businessman so he's tried to set up he's tried to set it up so it's almost mechanized where they're coming to him and he's sending a social media resume around to different sources to agents to gms that i have more followers so send me the news first now why is this the story beyond what Woj is doing i think some you, you, I, I say i write about what i'm interested in dan but there is an aspect i do try to think about it in terms of what would a reader be interested in what would a fan be interested in and what they're interested in is what their coverage looks like at espn it corrupts the coverage because if the main focus and organizations they get what they prioritize so if the main focus is breaking a news story on twitter and being first then that will detract from other focuses such as telling the most interesting story such as revealing something that might not be flattering to a team or a player, but is of interest to the fans. And so it's corrupted what ESPN is trying to do in terms of entertaining people because they can't tell stories as well because there's always this neurotic paranoid fear that it will piss off an agent and if you piss off an agent he'll go to shams or he'll go to somebody else and so i think people have that sense that something's not on the up and up when they watch espn's nba coverage and maybe they couldn't articulate it or put their finger exactly on what it is um but that's a big part of it and that's why i've talked about it and those stories those stories have done well i think people are fascinated by by woes in addition to uh, having an issue with how the coverage has gone Is that the
1: most popular thing to write about? Because you now have a way of quantifying what people are interested in. It's probably what gets you accused of being contrarian. People might think that you're inventing contrary opinions just to be contrarian, when I'm guessing you're just following your curiosities and wondering, why don't more people write about these obvious things?
2: Yeah, I'm just following my curiosities, I think that I would go about it in a different way if it was all just this cynical uh, ploy. I wouldn't write thousands of words, for one thing. I would probably just write 600 words. That would be a lot easier. No, if you're writing thousands of words, you can criticize it, you cannot like it, but you got to believe that the person believes what they're saying. It's just a lot of investment, as you know, Dan. But I think it's hard to say what the most popular pieces are. I think if I paywall a Woj piece, it will do best uh, monetarily. But if I make something a free post, you're going to get a different audience. And so that's something you see is that you get different audiences for the paid for post versus the post that you give away. Paid for... You're going to get people signing up who are in the industry. You're going to get people in the media. You're going to get people at agencies. They're going to be expensing it, which helps. Uh, I'm just giving people a peek behind the curtain at my own business, I guess. But yeah, it it helps. It's a good supplement that people will charge the company account at these different agencies. And uh, they will read something about Woj and they can justify the expense. It's a different ball game when I'm giving the article away for free. That sort of article tends to do better if it's more of the cultural variety. Uh, if I'm talking about how Z- Generation Z athletes seem very depressed and it seems like a lot of the advice that the media is uh, giving in relation to them isn't the best advice, those articles do the best uh, for the free post, and the Woj articles do the best for the paywalled post.
1: Can you take us through the parts of the business basketball insider that you find unseemly?
2: Huh. I just think whenever you're being dishonest or not revealing what the story is, that's a bit unseemly. I think that there's a natural conflict of interest that is additionally unseemly where ESPN and a lot of their commentators will report on players and coaches, and GMs, and not just say, hey, we have the same agent. I mean, that's a fundamental conflict of interest. I'm not judgmental. I have conflicts of interest. You have conflicts of interest. Anybody in this business does. Am I going to write about somebody I'm friends with in a critical way? Probably not. But if they come up in the news, I'm at least going to reveal that I'm friends with them or that I have an arrangement with them. There's something fundamentally dishonest about uh caa is very much well represented at at espn i'm not anti-caa i had a cup of coffee rep by caa for a moment um they ran caa i mean it can be
1: said caa was basically running espn for a good long time were they not
2: yeah yeah they were and i think less so now but they were and so there's something to the coverage that tilts the coverage they're not going to be as critical of CAA-backed players. And then you get these weird scenarios where they're saying on uh, an ESPN channel that, hey, Zion really wants to go to the Knicks. You know, I'm, I'm going back like maybe a year ago where they're, they're pushing that. Zion Williamson wants to go to the Knicks. And the person saying that on TV is rep by CAA. The Knicks are in heavy with CAA, Fib, CAA, former CAA power agent, their GM. Zion Williamson is refed by CAA. And none of these connections as important as they are, are being revealed to the customer. So I just say in these scenarios, hey, if you've got these conflicts of interest, at the very least, you can reveal them. The world will not fall apart if you reveal them. But if you're not revealing them, you're, you're almost that's almost an admission to me that you know that you're up to something shady, that you wouldn't just be honest about
1: that. Well, why do you think, though, that Woj gets such traffic, the way that you write about Woj, because... You have some of the dirty insider details that not a lot of people have about power brokering that people can wonder how Woj does his job, but you keep writing about details that are a bit uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, there's a little bit of showing how the magician does the trick, isn't there? And I want to be clear. I could never do what Woj does. I could never be a newsbreaker. I don't have that skill set. I don't look at it as, oh, my God, I could just do this so easily if I wanted to do it. But at the same time, if it tilts coverage and if nobody's talking about it and it's good business for me, obviously, to talk about it, then I'm going to talk about it because it clearly influences what they do. I mean, an NBA player can buy themselves a lot of favorable coverage or at the very least not get so much Disfavorable coverage? Is that a word I'm, I'm creating? I don't Unfavorable. Know. They, they can avoid a lot of criticism if they sign with CAA, I think anyway, given how many NBA media people are rep by CAA. That's interesting. You're not hearing that elsewhere for the most part. So it just seems like why wouldn't, why wouldn't you talk about it? Why wouldn't you
0: say it? Uh, because it's true. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
1: And when the audience says, oh, who cares? Because clearly some of the audience cares. They want your reported details on what the dirty underbelly of the journalism is. But clearly most people don't care because that's their information source and they don't need any more information about whether some of it comes compromised or dishonest. Just you're my information source. I don't care if a little bit of how you do your job is not journalistically
2: sound. Yeah, well, I guess two things. Uh, first, the customer is always right on an individual level, right? If a customer says that they're not interested in something, then they're not interested in something. Fortunately, my business model allows me uh, to make a decent living without getting hundreds of thousands of subscribers. You know, I only really need over a thousand to do well, and if I can get a few thousand, then all the better. But secondarily, Where it gets a little interesting with the information source argument is that it's starting to corrupt the information itself and the sourcing. The craziest thing to me, and it probably should have gotten more analysis in media, was when Brian Windhorst accurately reported that the James Harden for Ben Simmons trade was going to happen and was in the works, and Woj said, it's not going to happen, or I'm not hearing that it's going to happen, and jumped in front of that story and told everybody on national TV that this trade that was in the works, I had even heard about it. I'm not deep in the weeds in the NBA trades. I knew it was happening. He was telling the viewers that it wasn't going to happen out of consideration to his sources. So something very strange has started to happen where in order to be first, you're also occasionally uh, being this weird mule Uh, who is presenting a fake narrative or trying to stand in front of somebody else reporting something first. At that point, the information is corrupted. At that point, I don't know if the fan can trust it as much. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, certain people don't care. I get it. But a lot of people want good information. And if they're not getting the good information, they sometimes want an explanation about why. What do you think happened there? Yeah, I went through a lot of different theories. I asked around about it. It's difficult to know. I think the main thing is that Woj has an arrangement or has a friendship, a deep connection with the general manager of the Nets. And so, I mean, because he comes from uh, from Spurs Mafia, Sean Marks. Uh, he is Spurs Mafia. Woj has good connections with the uh, people who came to the Spurs organization. Everybody knows that he's a, a, a good source for Woj. And, perhaps it was messing with the leverage as they were trying to hammer out details to say that this was done. That was one theory that was thrown at me. I didn't come out, I didn't come up with it, but just asking agents around the league, that's what they told me. But there's this other weird scenario, Dan, to how this quest to be first and this quest to uh, to win that particular game is corrupting the game overall. There was this issue where Shams and Woj got teams punished because they came to the presses too quickly, revealing uh, a signing or a trade. I'm trying to even remember, right? Um, you know, there's was something with the bucks and there was something with the bulls. And so I also wonder if maybe there was an element of that where there's this fear of coming out with it too quickly and screwing over your sources because those sources in those scenarios got punished by the NBA, got docked, you know, draft picks and whatnot. So that's another, aspect that might have caused it. But obviously Woj isn't going to talk to me about it. So you're just going to have to ask him what happened there. Should ESPN care? It's a good question. I think they should, but that is complicated by how Jimmy Bataro, the guy running ESPN, was running Yahoo at the time that Woj was at Yahoo. So there is a symbiosis there and they almost seem like a package deal. And so maybe he doesn't for whatever reason, for whatever his metrics are. I think that they should care because they are primarily a television station. They are primarily a cable news channel, and that means that they should be entertaining people. And if they're trying to win this game of Twitter, which doesn't seem to generate any money for anybody outside the people at Twitter, it doesn't help them in this broader goal of having the best coverage and analysis. If You've got Brian Windhorst on TV revealing this juicy tidbit in real time. And it's interesting that a guy is throwing his body in front of it to protect his source and not tell that story to the fans. I don't see how that's helping them. I think that they used to do a better job of telling stories. Now that they've tried to break the news, i.e. beat the press conference or the press release by about five minutes. That's been to the detriment of storytelling, and everything is understood through story. Everything is understood through narrative. So I think it has not helped them as a TV product, and that's something they should perhaps care about. At the same time, they've kind of got a monopoly on these TV rights. They've got so many. So there's not much punishment for being worse. What do you make of the last year that Adam Schefter has had journalistically? It's tough because I'm not deep in the NFL world. You've got more connections. He he cuts a different character behind the scenes than Woj does. He's more, I guess, genial. You know, plays well with others a bit better. Which oh, I he's think beloved.
1: Given- he's not feared. Yeah. He's not feared. Yeah. There's there's something happening with the Woj Schefter thing that I don't think a lot of people know about. Uh, Woj is feared. Adam
2: Schefter is not feared. Exactly, and that difference is interesting to me, if I'm just looking at them as characters, because they're obviously doing similar things and they're doing things on behalf of their sources. But with Schefter, there seems to be, it's more genial. and. In a way, he's had louder screw-ups than Woj has had and more controversial screw-ups of late. Um And I think it, he, he's been helped weathering that storm because unlike Woj, he's actually good on TV as well. That's another difference is that Schefter's manner, whatever it is about it, I do think people like watching it.
1: Ethan, for people who want to find you, and I'm telling you that there aren't a lot of people in sports writing right now attacking things from as different an angle as he is, so... How do people find you in the event that they want to subscribe or learn more about you?
2: Houseofstrauss.substack.com. And I also do podcasts. I do a, a call-in podcast with listeners, and I sometimes do a longer-form podcast that features uh, lengthy—I This is I wouldn't say lengthy. This, is, this isn't a lengthy conversation, Dan. It flies by. It's so fascinating, and you're such a good interviewer. But it features more in-depth conversations like this one.
1: You've done a brave thing. Uh, You went toward the fear. Has it been what you thought it was going to be? Rewarding, successful, fulfilling?
2: Yeah, Uh, I'm pretty happy. It's challenging. I sometimes, because it's all on you and you feel this responsibility to it, but I work harder than ever, but I feel better than ever. I feel like there is more of my time is in my control. So I don't see why any reader or subscriber should necessarily um care about my own happiness or fulfillment but I am happy to report that it's been good psychologically and emotionally as well as it's been a good business decision.
1: Well the choice that you made though I when you made it I, I salute you uh, then and I salute you now just because it is a brave thing. I, I figured that that was the reason that you wanted something in the realm of growth because you did a scary thing. It would have been much easier to just stay safe and not grow. I had something like that happen to me. It was fairly seismic where I'm watching Dwayne Wade jump on a pile in uh, you know Dallas winning the championship and I'm writing something and I'm like I've written this too many times it's yes. time to do it's time to do something else
2: yes yes I I've had that exact feeling and when you start feeling that ooh, I mean it's it, writings a strange beast it is it's you really need to be engaged and God just you, you lose a little you lose a little you lose a step. To use this you know, dumb athletic analogy and, and you really feel it and you lose that engagement and you really feel it and you feel like you've done it all and it was great in my 20s I was happy to have done it I was happy to have been a beat writer and see the things I saw but you do need to grow you do need to challenge yourself or it's going to get stale
1: but from that perspective, I can't imagine how regularly appalled you are by all of the soul-selling that gets success that isn't what you're talking about. Just hit the same note forever, and it'll be okay. It can be profitable. You don't have to grow. You must see it everywhere. Our, our gardens are replete with not
2: wanting to make those changes. Yeah, perhaps. I guess you know I don't really think about it too much in that way. I, I tend to think if somebody's successful – My mentality is often, okay, there's something to what they're doing that is perhaps, if not admirable, then at least impressive. Woj, for instance, I could go on about how impressive it is that he, uh, as a businessman and as somebody who could navigate the uh, culture of the NBA, how he's accomplished what he's accomplished. I feel that way about hacks as well. I mean, you know, legit hacks. If you're a successful hack, I mean, maybe it's easier. Uh, maybe it's easier to be a successful, talented person than a successful hack, I think, Dan. I mean, that's quite a trick. And so I have aberration even for that when I see it. I think
1: one of the things about Woj because I I think he's a genius. It's it's yeah. It's impossible. I can't believe that there's another person who exists in his twenties that can do anything comparable to what it is that Woj is like. If Woj is a genius, genius, I don't even know how to.
2: Pre- I don't even know what kind of psychotic shams must be. Uh, you got to give up a lot in life. I mean, Sham said that he used to play pickup basketball and he loved it. and He doesn't do it anymore. I remember, uh, remember Mark Stein said that he hadn't watched a movie in a theater in over 10 years. He said that 10 years ago. It might have been, it might be 20 now for all I know. These guys give up pieces of their lives in order to get the news faster. So I think it requires a psychotic drive. And that's why... Even if I do look in judgment at news breaking and go, why is this happening? You're just beating the press release by a few minutes. There's also part of me that respects it and goes, man, I would never give my life to this in that way. And I would never have that much of a commitment. So at least at that level, uh, and that's not even talking about the guile, the cunning, the sense of timing, the understanding of how the, the pulleys and the levers behind the NBA scenes work. It is impressive, it is.
1: Ethan, good talking to you, always good catching up with you. Thanks for sharing the time, buddy.
2: Anytime, Dan, had a great time.
0: Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start, same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo. The tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo. Now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.